Welcome to Season 8 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Passionate about leadership education? You want to expand your resource toolbox with practical teaching, learning, and program design strategies? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I'm Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And in our eighth season, we've been focusing on research and scholarship in the field of leadership education. We've been asking the question, where do leadership educators go for research? Um, we've talked to journal editors, editors of publications for practitioners, leadership scholars, and peer reviewers. Initially, during an episode with Drs. Tony Andonaro and Kristan Salente Scandell, we were talking about their leadership of the National Leadership Education Research Agenda 2020 to 2025. That was published in volume 14, issue number three of the Journal of Leadership Studies. And during that conversation, we kind of got the bright idea to say, like, why don't we talk to all the priority authors and leaders? You know, we couldn't think of just one priority or one person or a handful of people. So we reached out to all of the lead authors and some contributing authors of each of the nine priorities. And luckily for us, they all agreed to join us. Yeah, now these have been some absolutely fantastic conversations, and uh, kind of sad. This is the this is the last priority of of the group, but uh, but we're really excited by uh, who we're joined by here today. Um, and just uh, before we introduce our guest today, just as a quick refresher, in case you're you're jumping into this uh, at the tail end, uh, the purpose of the National Leadership Education Research Agenda was to provide a roadmap for the future research in leadership education, developed by a large group of uh, leadership scholars and practitioners from various fields um, that kind of spanned uh, spanned the globe. And the intent of the project was to guide researchers in identifying some of the most important areas of inquiry and developing research questions and designing studies that could contribute to the understanding and the improvement of our field of leadership education. And uh, ultimately, the agenda culminated in nine priorities that, with any luck, will inform the future practice and development of the next generation of leaders. So uh, today, really excited to uh, speak with two authors from priority number nine, Dr. Tom Yanuzzi, owner and principal consultant of Higher Learning Partners, LLC, and Dr. Debbie Smith, professor and interim chair of interdisciplinary studies at Kennesaw State. And they're part of the writing team, again, for priority number nine. The title of that one was Emergent Methodologies, New Approaches for Integrating Theory and Practice. So welcome to the show, Tom. Hi, how you doing, Dan? Hi, Lauren. Good to have you here and welcome to the show, Debbie. Hey, everybody. Excited to be here. Looking forward to having a good conversation. Yeah, excited to, to dive in. And, and so it's kind of funny, as I was introducing you, I, I remembered, and correct me if I'm wrong, so I we share a similar, what would I say, service, service to the field. So Debbie, when I took on a board position at ALE, you were the outgoing secretary, right? And then I came in and tried to fill your shoes <laughs> back. Gosh, it's, it's been a minute. And, uh, been a minute. <laughs> and you were very, very generous with your time and, and making sure that I uh, was successful in, in that role, handing things over to me. Uh, so thank you for that. And then, then Tom, you took over as the leadership education member community chair after a little bit after me, right? Because Ryan, was Ryan right before you? Correct. Okay. And we recently- uh, uh, I believe Ryan was before me. Yes. 
Okay. And we had him on um, and Carolyn uh, a few shows ago talk about Priority 5. So here we are. We share that lived experience, right? If we're, we're part of a small phenomenological. All right, let's move on. All right. So uh, I'm curious as we as we look at this particular priority. So how did y'all get involved with the Research Agenda Project, I guess, as a whole? And so a two-parter. And what excited uh, y'all about contributing to this particular priority? Well, I'll, I'll start by answering that. Tom and I had been doing some work together at Kennesaw State. Tom had a unique position when he was here as the executive director for the Center of Student Leadership, where he was joint appointed and reported to the dean of my academic college that my department's housed in. And he reported to the vice president of student affairs. So you have to correct me. Is that right, Tom? That's, that's, that's exactly right. So um, prior to my life in academic affairs, I was in student affairs. So I was immediately intrigued by this arrangement. And so we started having the kind of conversations that you all mentioned were the impetus for the podcast, just, you know, hey, what's going on with you? What are you doing? How are you educating students? in regards to leadership education and how are we doing that in academic affairs and just, you know, a partnership kind of built and where can we collaborate? Um, Tom started teaching classes in our program. I started contributing to some student affairs initiatives. So we started developing um, some scholarship among there and presenting at conferences and then, you know, publishing. And so by the time the call for this came out, it's like, hey, let's, let's pull everything together that we've been working on over the past few years and present you know, something that uh, might be picked up. So what we put out there was now really a piece of the bigger priority, but it was really about collaboration between student affairs, academic affairs in regards to, you know, reaching across the aisle, transcending uh, historical divides to provide leadership education. So that's kind of where it started. Yeah, and, and I'll just I'll just jump in there as well. I mean, I think Debbie uh, summed it up pretty well. I, I think that the main thing that interested both of us is that whole issue of the complexity of leadership education it's you know so much of the education as you both know it's it really focuses on leader education a lot of times and she and i were very interested in how do you expand that to leadership education and the complexities of leadership so how do we rethink what leadership is versus leader um and how do you given that that rethinking and reimagining of, of the concept of leadership how do you to debbie's point not even, not even go across the aisles, but how do you get rid of the aisles? Uh, not just between academic affairs and student affairs, but even within academic affairs, within all the disciplines, how do you pull that together so that we can really start trying to figure out how to educate the complexity of leaders? Yeah, it's interesting that, I mean, I experienced some similar things myself as a doctoral student and, and was in a, a role at the University of South Florida where I was co-coordinating a leadership minor with uh, a colleague in student affairs. So I was in an academic affairs appointment. She was in a student affairs appointment. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I was new to the field. I didn't know 
any different. And then as I started to go to conferences as a young, you know, as a graduate student, and not too many, but I, you know, attended like a NASPA and ILA and LEI, just kind of whatever was, and LEI was at my at my institution at University of South Florida when I when I was in the middle of my program. And I found that that was really not the case at most places that, you know, leadership was ha- might be happening in both academics and student affairs. But particularly at that time, they were really in their silos. There wasn't a lot of collaboration. And we were really trying to, to knock that down. Um, I think uh, Julie Owen called it like, you know, this, this artificial binary that exists or something like that, where it's like, no, you do you, you do your leadership and, and we'll do our lead. But it's like, no, y'all, like, yes, this is complex, but it doesn't mean we we, we can't collaborate, you know? And so I, I love hearing these stories when folks reached across the aisle or just that was the evolution or how things had always been at your institutions. And it, it seems like that was really integrated into the approach that y'all took into, into this priority. Is that, is that fairly accurate? Yeah. For, for a starter, and it's interesting you brought up, you know, your work with Julie, because I remember in looking back, I'm like, what did we say for that round table <laughs> LA in 2016, and and there you are, um, you know, listed with her as as a reference. So who would who would have thought we'd be having this conversation together all these years later? But where you had looked at, you know, how were different units doing leadership education and student affairs and academic affairs, and that, so that was one of our our primary references for you know building on the work that that we're doing now. So. And once we submitted our proposal, you know, the process then of, of being accepted as one of the research priorities, then it was like, okay, in this interesting umbrella of emergent methodologies, that's when we learned, okay, there are these other authors who have submitted pieces as well. And so we were charged with, okay, how can we pull all of these ideas and thoughts together and other proposals under a bigger umbrella. So then we went about the process of expanding, okay, we're not just looking at leadership education in different units across the university, but how is it even studied and researched? And so you know, we have six authors on this priority. So three of them are, are newer scientists and we're all in Italy, which is very interesting um, because the pandemic was unfolding. And I remember, right, Tom, weren't they in Milan? Yes. Co others were in Milan. My gosh. So it was um, and that, very and another concerned. another person was in California. Uh, right. The other authors. They changed uh, directions, and then uh, Kimberly was a graduate student at LSU at the time. So it was, you know, in some ways, like a little support group, like let's check in and touch base with each other. We're talking about us, but we're also living it. Like, where are we seeing the complexities of leadership played out while we're all living through this pandemic that didn't know how it would end. So it, it was kind of surreal to be like, here, we're doing this research piece, but wait, <laughs> we're talking about complexities, wicked problems, you know, writing about all that, making these series, and then the timing of yeah, and I, and I I think what what I, I mean I know we started out talking about the the you know the aisle between academic affairs and student affairs, but it really I mean what what we found was just in academic affairs, just in different methodologies and different disciplines. You know, the, again the neuroscientists, 
Then we had the the, uh, the LSU, um, who was looking at more Gen Z kind of uh, research. And then Debbie and I were kind of looking at the, the academic affairs and, and student affairs. And that's that's where one of the things that, that came out in our, our piece was this whole idea. I mean, we've always thought of, I, I think a lot of people are accepting of an idea of the systems theory, uh, you know, and the systems theory of, of leadership. But really what we started looking at was a system of systems. You know, when you look at the neuroscientists, you know, the human body is a system within an institutional system and in the different institutions that we interact with within a social system and the social and the cultural system, you know. So when you when you look and again, it gets into that 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 interdependent complexity of how do you help students really understand how how difficult it is to be a leader and a leader follower, if you will, in this in this very kind of web of complexity um, in, in the times that we're in. You know, I love that y'all have shared that at, also as a, a student affairs, former essay pro, I made a note that there's got to be an expat community for us somewhere because <laughs> things as a student affairs practitioner, as you bring with you, like, I, I feel like I'm a good instructor. I'm a caring teacher because of my student centered student affairs experience. And that, that leads or, or that, that, it's the one thing that students always comment about in my SFFs about how caring I was like, you know, and, and all of that comes from being in student affairs. But it made me think that system of systems, Tom, that you just said, like students don't label it. They don't label their experience by department, but they label their experience by their school. So they'll say my school, my school, my school. So they don't know the silos like we kind of operate in those silos. Right. But it also made me think, how can we then survey students about their leadership experience when they're bringing all of that plus high school plus church plus community plus their original group their family all of that into their experience so it does make it a little more um, complicated to navigate and understand if we're not looking at it through that same lens mm -hmm. um, I also love the web piece um, there is a book relationship rich environment or relationship rich edu education and and for the larger schools, they talk a lot about how we have to create webs for students so that the pressure isn't on faculty or on a student affairs coordinator or on you know the RA or this one person to support that student experience. It's this true web of relationships that helps to support the experience. So it feels like a little bit of that is coming into the. I, I would agree, Lauren, and and you know what's interesting is. When we talk about methodologies, that means our own institutions have to change the way in which we get rewarded and the way in which we approach our jobs and things. And that's what becomes, I think, for educators, I think that's what really becomes a challenge. Um, because I think a lot of people would agree that the approach is needed. It's just how do you do that in your own professional career as an educator when the institution itself isn't necessarily set up? To support that that kind of work right so so and again that's one of the things that debbie and i from the very beginning were were struggling with but that's what we, that that's one of the things that 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 kind of excited us was was how do we start kind of kind of really thinking through these these institutional kind of barriers that prevent us all from kind of working together to to better educate students especially students in this idea of leadership and some of the barriers are actually good things, if you will, because, mm -hmm. you know, we found like as a large public university, like 
so many resources, so many offices, so many departments. I'm still learning about things now. I'm like, what? We have that? Where is that? And so trying to bring all those pieces together in a meaningful way, um, like you had mentioned, Lauren, students don't talk about their experience of <laughs> divided up like we do. But, you know, at one point I started doing sort of like this content analysis of leadership and education at our university. It was all over the place, right? So it was in the ROTC program, hadn't thought about that. Athletics had their own piece going on. Um, College of Education had a piece, you know, specific to you know, students going into the K-12 setting. RAs, you mentioned them, Lauren. I mean, of course, their whole own training. And then different units in student affairs and then in academic affairs. Ooh, that gets fun. Who owns leadership, right? Especially in academia. What department is that going to be? Which college? Who's going to oversee that content? And so... I mean, it's great. There's so much interest and desire to educate and make the world better by making sure we have students who understand leader, follower dynamics and all of that. But when it's all over the place, they're getting a little bit here and a little bit here and Greek life here and over there trying to make some meaning of that. It's very complex. You're right. I I think about like you said, large public institution. I work at a large public institution, and and when I used to run the leadership office, that was my biggest challenge: tracking all of the leadership programs, and then also thinking about the consistency. Like there were some programs that were using really old, outdated models, and I was just like, oh, like please don't. Like my my pet peeve is when people say like take charge, and I'm just like, oh, but like, do you want to be taken charge of? Like, you know, like, but but also I respect it if you do, but all like, and so I just had all these conflicting emotions around that. And part of my work was to make sure I understood so that as my students were coming to us as a resource, I could then say, okay, well, if this is your major, technically, this is the course you have to take to learn more about leadership in the classroom. But if you're not in this major, even though you and your friend want to go take a class together, you can't because she's in another major and she's got to go through a different program. And so like trying to coordinate that is is a challenge. But if institutions could understand and maybe bring more folks together, um, and maybe that's something that someone will look into in, in terms of future research. Because I know part of this podcast is thinking about what would y'all like to see, um, you know, in terms of future studies. You know, you put the initial research agenda out, but but also just thinking about what are some of the things that people could study or or could propose or, or just even some of the things that you find interesting that I think our audience might find mm-hmm. interesting. Um, it just, you know, like I, just trying to kind of draw it back into that. It, it's really that idea of complexity that y'all are explaining. Um, I wonder where the future research lies in that. One of the pieces we talked about in the article was, you know, to look at programs that can be sustained, right, that are actually truly integrated into universities and how are they evaluated and assessed? And at least our own experience had been, there have been a lot of great programs that had come and gone and come and gone. And they were based on the goodwill of one or two or three people over here and over here who developed a friendship or common interest. But when that person moved on, then inevitably the program would die. So I think that was a part of our initial proposal for the research agenda was to for future researchers to really get a handle on and look at 
what are some examples? And just looking at the dichotomy of student affairs and leadership, academic affairs that have been sustained like through the test of time. Like what does that take? What do those funding models look like? Because that's very complex, right? Those just two separate pots of money. So I, I think that would be a really good place, um, particularly maybe for graduate students, or students looking for dissertation topics um, to do kind of a survey of what's out there, what's worked and has stood the test of time. Yeah, and, and to, to go along with that, uh, Lauren, I mean, and, and Dan, I mean, my my own thing and, and some of the writing that I have kind of lost track of only because of, of changing uh, roles and things is leadership has been historically conflated with theater. Um, so we, we it, the education always comes down to the individual. Um, even when we talk about interactive leadership, it's, it's okay, the in, individual in interaction. And for me, leadership is, I mean, it's that Higgs boson, you know, it's that, it's, it's, it's that social thing. It's, it's not in the individual, but we have a harder time understanding what that social constitutive, con constructive, that's where, you know, even when we talk about leader and follower, you know, there's, there's this false bifurcation, if you will, that somebody's either a leader or a follower, and it's not, it's, they're, it, they're the same person in a leadership moment. It's, it's, the, it's those social moments that, that we need to kind of get a better understanding of, and that, that those, di those social dynamics. And I think that if, if we're going to really try to understand leadership complexity, I mean, again, if you go back to leadership studies, you, you always, I'm reading one uh, book now by Henry Kissinger, but it's all these individual leaders, you know, uh, again, you can look at it and it's like, but what, what are all the things that were happening around that person at a time that, that was influencing the leadership? Uh, and so, so again, it's reimagining, I think, separating leadership from leader. Um, somehow, so that we can we can reimagine what leadership actually is. And again, I think that's getting it out of the individual. That's not negating the individual. The, indiv the individual leader followers are are part of it, but leadership is that social process um, that we need to get a better understanding of. And I, and I I for me that would be that would be something that would be really exciting um, in in future methodologies and understanding. I agree because there's some, so I've been reading a, a lot about um, faculty experiences and the term they use is called social contingencies, anything that happens outside that affects your um, teaching in the classroom. And so that social moments, that idea resonates because you think about the pandemic, there are all these things happening around us in our own little like bubbles, own little worlds. And then we were going into the other, these other spaces and it wasn't like we were transparent and showing all of the things that were affecting us. Maybe we were a little transparent because everyone was experiencing something with COVID, but we weren't, we didn't come in with like a little sheet that says, here's all the bad things or here's all the good things, or here's everything that's happened to me that's gonna affect my mood or how I engage with you. You know, we weren't leading or we weren't leading from that space. We weren't naming those things. So I feel like you're right, like that, that more study around those social moments, those social contingencies would be incredibly helpful so that we can then, like you said, start kind of separating the leader from the leadership piece. Um, my biggest challenge in my like classes, I teach in about 1000 level, like a intro leadership class. And so many students are like, well, I'm not really a leader. And I'm like, oh, hold up. Let's talk about that. Like, let's unpack that. Like, 
Did you plan to go to the mall with your friends? Okay, well, if you coordinated, you might've had some leader capacity in that space. And then it's like, oh, like the lights start turning on. And, and I feel like, it, is there a way we can get them there earlier? So when they get into these college classrooms, we can start having those conversations about kind of how they're processing. I, I feel like that's part of the change. Um, I shouldn't spend my job convincing people they're leaders. Like, how can we kind of, how can they they come with that experience or with that belief? Well, and my the work I was working on right as Debbie and I were working together was trying to take it from leadership to humanship, right? So, uh, even even changing, you know, we the leadership thing has just become so hard that really what you're talking about is we're humans, and 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 how do how do we how do we advance our ability to be a a human, um, you know, and again. You know, we, we talk about diversity and things, and, and I always say diversity is wonderful, but what we have to understand is that the more diverse, more different we, we are, also the more interactively challenging it is, right, because of that sense-making and that meaning-making kind of process. So it's, it's how, do we, how do we help students understand that this is a human process? It's not a positional process, right? It's not about becoming a leader. It's it's about how do you how do you in how do you increase your capacity to be a human and an engaged human uh, in, in this world. Um, so so yeah, these are some of the things that we were we again is it's how do we reimagine what we teach and what we study and and what we think about when we talk about leadership and and again we keep on saying we want to do, it's it's kind of, it reminds me of how we keep on saying we're going to reimagine education but then when i look at education and we're doing it the same way that we've always done it it's like you know so it's 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 how do we how do we really get to that what Bateson calls that second order change right where we're not just changing within a system but we change the complete system we change the complete way in which we think about something so, so that we we can start studying it, thinking about it, and teaching it uh, differently. I yeah. think Bates started talking about that in like the early '70s about reimagining higher education, and we've all kind of, you know, yes, we're going to reimagine. Another another decade goes by, another decade goes by, and we still have this tendency. I'm always dismayed, Lauren, like my students. I always think, okay, you know, the next generation. At this point, maybe two generations behind me, but that they're going to have this new perspective on leadership. But it's always this default of falling back to, you know, the old bureaucratic structure that, you know, worked in the Industrial Revolution era. It's just this default to task and things we must accomplish and get done. And if you do those, then you are a good, effective leader. Otherwise you must be a follower and you must go in this camp. It's very disheartening in a way that, that they, you know, at least a traditional age student is coming, starting college at 1000 level class, already having all these preconceived notions of what, of what that means and who does what. But it, but for many of them, then, you know, maybe if they have older siblings or other experiences where they've seen like the reality of some of the workplaces they've been in that don't prescribe to the, the older bureaucratic model where they have more of the emerging adhocracy where groups are fluid and different people who maybe have a different skill or talent or need kind of for a point in time, you are the quote leader 
but then they fade back and somebody else comes forward. So you do see that out there, but it's still not our default method of thinking about what does leadership look like and what does it mean to be a leader in the, those kind of complex situations. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we we all come in with with our biases and they're informed by oftentimes by, uh, for better or for worse, by our experiences or those who we uh, found ourselves being, uh, you know, brought up, brought up around in our context. And so you talk about all these competing systems and the complexity uh, around all of that and the meaning making that we were, you know, either guided or misguided <laughs> towards doing as we were find ourselves in, in higher education, as I think about uh, our, ourselves being, our, you know, our, our students, as I kind of put myself in, in their shoes. And then as educators, I mean, I think we're maybe turning a corner here, as I heard y'all talking about leadership and followership and humanship, you know, it's, 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 it's all the ships, right? So many ships and all of these collide together and these roles that we've taken on. And you mentioned that too, like it's the same person, right? We just because we're not in a positional role, that doesn't mean that we're not having an experience or contributing to an organization's mission or vision or common purpose. And all of those experiences, whether you're living them or experiencing them or observing other members of the organization uh, lead or support those efforts, like those are important experiences too, uh, of which to reflect on, make meaning of, go through the experiential learning loop and and what have you. And I think oftentimes we're so hyper-focused on the leader or the position or or what have you, that we sometimes negate the presence of, of some of these other members of the system within the context and and the context matters. And, and y'all really did a great job, I think, of of uh, of pushing that and then in this priority and really also reaching out into some of these other complementary disciplines and, and some of the contributions of your co-authors around neuroscience and neurodiversity and neurophysiology and, and what have you was was really, really fascinating. I guess I'm curious as part of those conversations. And for me, that would have been totally brand new. I mean, I know what neuroscience is, but I've never really dived into it and thought about how it intersects with what I do as a leadership educator. What were the some of the things y'all learned about yourself as as leaders or practitioners or as followers as you were working on this project? Yeah, it's certainly mind opening uh, to think about that because I will confess, you know, historically, if I would have thought, ooh, I'm branching out, it would be like, well, let me go see what the history department thinks about this. You know, I wouldn't have thought or, you know, oh, college of business, of course, you're going to talk to them, but it just... Yes, neuroscience would not have been at the top of my list, but as we interacted with our colleagues and learned about some of the work that they're doing, it was really interesting. And it made us, it made me think more about, you know, what are my biases about my own biases about who, who in the academy would be studying leadership and what kind of contributions might they bring to the field. I don't think we go beyond maybe those conversations like so this was a unique co-authorship kind of piece but i'm not sure how much more beyond this that would be something that people looking for future research agendas to kind of really partner with people in different disciplines to actually conduct research and publicly disseminate it so we can learn from those partnerships yeah and and i was just gonna gonna say and and dan you 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 mentioned about context and you know that we brought that up in, in in the piece and you know we used Tracy and Robles definition of context which is not just the physical context or the situation that you're in but it's 
it's that it's everything that influences the meaning making within the situation. So, you know, relational histories, when I first met Ryan, he was doing a piece, I think it was 2015, but they were doing a piece on time and how we think about time. And, and, you know, again, not just past time, but even what your future, your desired futures are, right? All these things are influencing the way in which we act into a situation. So I, I have a, a, a very strong bias of all that complexity that influences humans from the outside, if you will. And one of the things that, that was, was kind of, uh, I guess, rewarding in doing this piece was, was kind of hearing the neuroscientist idea and, and realizing, oh, wait a minute, there are these deep-rooted kinds of things that, that are, you know, I don't want to say hardwired, but, but there, there are ways in, that, that I've grown you know, that, that make me think in a certain, that makes people do things in a certain way that you can almost predict what people are going to do if you, if you, if you know certain things. So, you know, again, it's, it's, that's why we were, we were talking about the systems of systems because you can't ignore that, you you, you know, as much as, as much as I kind of try to fight to ignore and say, no, you know, it's, that's not, people are people. and, And part of being a human is the, these, these, these kind of, predictable, hardwired kind of ways of, of being and doing um, that, that becomes who we are. Um, so, so again, it's, it's to Debbie's point, it's, it's, it's allowing, allowing some of those, those, those conversations in where you, you normally, you might, we might, I might kind of push away at times and saying, oh, wait a minute, no, they're just as important to understand as everything else. And again, that's what adds to the complexity of, of, of it all is that you can't ignore all the different influences um, in any given leadership moment. And that's where our, our other co-author looked at Gen Z, you know, in particular. So, you know, that was the even broader social cultural context of, you know, how does that layer into how we as individuals process the world and our experience and what it means um, to, to lead? And so I thought her, her contributions were really interesting. Um, you know, kind of maybe looking broadly at generational characteristics and how some things emerge and change and where, where's that intersection with the other pieces that we were looking at? I, you know, I love some of the things that y'all mentioned, um, especially with the, the looking at young people. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think about, so my class, I always ask, you know, who are, who are your leaders? And, and, and they list like old people. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like who's like your generation's leader? Who are the young people that are leaders? And, and I feel like it, to y'all's point, it, it's, it's context and then systems. They're asked kind of growing up all of the time, who are your leaders? And, and or they're given a list of leaders to choose. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like the same 10 to 15 people. And so I think about my students, they know what to change. Like they know exactly what's wrong. Like they believe in climate change for the most part and they know exactly what we need to do and down to the practices, but then they don't feel like they have the agency or the power to go about change. And we talk about power and we go through these simulations and do the things, but they don't believe because they don't look like the old people 
lovingly old people. They don't look like the old people that they've listed for years as their leaders, right? And so we talk about like this disconnect and talk about young people processing change. Those are the conversations that regularly come to mind. And my hope is, especially with this priority, there's somebody out there looking at how do we then kind of pull the, like put a wrench in the system and stop it so that we can kind of recalibrate and, and, and start anew. I think about my son. So every year he's asked to write about a leader. And this year he brought in his leader. He said he's going to write about Muhammad Ali. And I was like, haven't you done him before? And he's like, I've written about him for the last four years. But because the teachers aren't talking to each other, they don't know. So he's like, I don't have to do any research. (laughs) And in my head, I'm like mad, but I'm also not mad. Like, it's like he's gamed the system. I'm and scared for teenage years. But that's an example of kind of what we're doing, thinking we're doing a great job. He's been dusting off the same Muhammad Ali report. And I'm the only one that's catching it. And I'm 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 in year four. His teachers aren't even there yet, you know? Imagine Well, you know, Lauren, it's it's so interesting because it's it's something I was gonna Dan mentioned something earlier that I was gonna it's you know, when we start talking about the complexities and, and trying to study and think about and teach, you know, the complexities of leadership, one of the things that we also have to take in mind is a lot of times the students are in the classroom and saying, look, just tell me what you want me to know <laughs> and let me do it and let me get kind of get. So, you know, in, in trying to get them excited about understanding this becomes challenging. You know, they, they, I, I mean, I, I in, in graduate school, I'll have graduate students who will sit down and say, Okay, so so what do you want me to do, or what should I do? And I and I have to sit down and say I can't tell you what to do. I, I you know it, it's going to be different. I'm trying to help you think, to, trying to think differently, or, or or and and thinking is doing something, but 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 they don't see it that way. They 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 see it as look, I'm going to get a test on something. I need to know something. So just tell me what you want me to know, how you want me to do it, and 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 I'll do that. So trying to educate to the complexity becomes even challenging for educators because, because it, it's it's how long do you have students? What can you do? How can you kind of justify what you're doing? How do you, you know, when you have to hand in grades, how do you grade things? And again, it gets back to that institutional system um, and the students, why they're there and the, you know, what we're trying to do with them. It, it, you know, there, there's challenges when we, when we talk about trying to add complexity to something like leadership studies. Yeah. Yeah. And you never know, are they going to, are they going to dive into the deep end or are they going to be resistant? Right. And, and want to stay in the kiddie pool or what have you. Right. And so uh, these are, these are some great, some great comments. Um, I mean, as you, as you kind of reflect on this whole process of, of, you know, working with your co-authors and contributing to this priorities or anything, Lauren and I didn't ask y'all that you want to make sure to add to this conversation. I would just say, I mean, one of the things that came out in, in the, the article is the idea of really thinking through the, how do I want to say it, the, the, the methodologies that when we talk about studying leadership, the, the methodologies that, that we're, we're, we're using and that we can use to study leadership. Again, I mean, as academics, you know, we're very much either into quantitative or qualitative studies and you know, we, we have to do certain approaches so that we can publish and, and do certain things. But is that the best way to study leadership? And, and, you know, are there other ways in which we can incorporate other methodologies, even methodologies that we may not even have yet or that we need to create or or how do we mix methods in, in, in a way 
that allow us as, as scholars to even better understand what it is um, that, that, that we're, we're trying, to, trying to study. And I would add in the article early on when we introduced the problem section, uh, we talked about three barriers you know, that continue to hinder the efforts um, to meet the demands of effective leadership education. I think that would be really interesting for researchers to look at, like, what, what is it? Why do we rely so much on dominant lens of psychology? Again, on the individual person and, and why the task? And we just really have a hard time getting away from that. So I think that would be um, something that I would conclude by saying you know, that could be some really good areas for people to grab onto, see what's different, what else is out there that's sticking and making a difference. Well, we could talk to y'all for another hour or two about this topic. I feel <laughs> like we've had, I feel like there's so many, I know I had like four or five things I didn't say that I wish I had shared. And I feel like we all kind of fit into that space, but um, we want to say thank you so much. We appreciate y'all for taking the time today to um, join us. Um, we're excited to share this episode as well as the work that your team did on priority number nine. Um, it's an important discussion. There are so many valuable insights that can be taken as well as a, there's a great spark for even more research in this space. Um, and we appreciate y'all for coming on the show and talking about it. Thank you for having well, us. Thank you very much. Fun. Yep, yep. I appreciate you taking the, the effort and I appreciate both of you taking the time. Our pleasure. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? Please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura J-B. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at theleadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators, the Association of Leadership Educators and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org.